When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to another edition. For all you kids out there, a Mets adjacent baseball perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Joining me once again this week is Jared Seidler. And also joining us, carving out some time from his busy life on Twitter.com, it's our good friend David Roth. David, how's it going? Pretty good. Uh, we have to get this in pretty quick, though, because I have a bunch of other appointments today. Work stuff. Can you tell the story about getting your new uh, computer so we could record this? Oh, do you really want to hear it? It's pretty good. Uh, so, you know, not to say that I was, uh, well, it was unplanned to resign <laughs> from the job that I planned to stay at for the remainder of my natural life to the point where when I gave uh, Chris, my buddy from IT, the computer at the end of the day, I had no computer to bring home with me. Uh, my bag weighed exactly the same amount because I had a book from uh, it's like a, basically a guide to all of the cards in the 1990 baseball set that a friend gave me. That's like written like an investor's guide where it's like all these Tim wallet cards. And you're like, we recommend his Don Russ card as an investment. <laughs> it's one of the most incredible documents. I brought it into the office and then, you know, I brought it home. I wasn't going to just leave it be, but yeah, so I didn't have a computer and I had to go get one. And I, uh, somebody at the Best Buy near me told me that they were selling the oldest, cheapest MacBooks they have at, for $100 less at the one near Bryant Park. So I took the same commute that I took to fucking get to work <laughs> on the day after I resigned from work. And I went to that Best Buy, and that person was in error. And then I just came back home and uh, put $1,000 on my credit card like a genius on the first day of not having a job. So... That is, uh, that's about, the, but that's how we're talking now. So you can't mm. say it didn't work. We know, we know there's a lot that the people want to hear from you about, about Carlos Beltran. And are we still allowed to use remembering some guys or does it have to be like <laughs> talking about past dudes or something like I that? Mean, I'm happy to, to let you guys set the pace here. Uh, I really like, you're not asking me to do anything I can't do. If you want to talk about Carlos Beltran, you can do it. I mean, I can sure do that. If you want to talk about Ty Wigginton, I can sure do that too. So, uh, you know, follow, I, I, follow your heart. I just want to make sure you still have the intellectual property to remember some guys. I, you know, it's weird. We I talked about that with the video people, and I feel like the, you can't claim ownership of that concept. Like, maybe we can't do it with, like, sort of good-timey Dixieland music under it anymore, but I don't think that that's, like, that's the part they own. No one can uh, stop me. You'll have to wear a different guys. flannel shirt in the videos. Oh, that's no problem. Reminiscing about dudes. <laughs> If I had to wear solid color shirts in the video, like I would, I would do it just in order to keep the thing moving at whatever other, uh, I'd love, I'd love to go to court about any of that stuff. Like if, like if Dom has to not use a chopstick in the antique shit show reboot. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. yeah. It really is. Uh, the world fucking sucks, dude. Yeah. It's, it's really difficult. Like this whole thing has been. I was telling Jeff before you got on, like, I've never felt like this before outside of, like, personal 
you know, like life tragedy type stuff. And it's not like any of this is gone. Like there's a Slack channel two clicks away and all the same fucking idiots that I worked with are in there right now saying like poo poo and pee pee to each other. It's not, you know, we didn't die. It's just like, it's weird to know that, you know, I won't be blogging at that website on Monday. Uh, we, we did our 90 seconds of actual relevance. Now we need to talk about the important things. Right. Yeah. So let's, the, let's good, the good news, David, is we can still podcast with you about Wade LeBlanc, who is now a free agent. Yeah, so I, that was like during this period immediately afterwards, I was like, I don't want to see what my, my mentions are going to be like. I don't want to be online. I don't want to do anything. Also, I don't have a computer. So, you know, kind of made the decision for myself. But I did see uh, your tweet mentioning that uh, his option was declined. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this before that like the Mets know that they need a fifth starting pitcher, which for them means that they're going to pursue a guy who would be the fifth best starter in their rotation, which is an annoying trait in the past. Like it has been when it results in Jason Vargas, but man, if it finally brings Wade to the Mets and uh, fulfills the prophecy, then I would be delighted by that. I, he also has relief experience and they're going to need a lefty. uh, Yeah. 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 Like he can fill both the Walker Lockett spot and the Luis Avalon spot. I guess the Luis Avalon spot, yeah. like the crossover lefty. Yeah, I mean, which should not have been Luis. It's like the Darren Oliver spot. They've never gotten a lefty that could actually do that since then. Yeah, the Avalon thing was didn't he face more righties than lefties? Oh, he this sure year did, David. It's really interesting. Uh, yeah. Anyway, well, there's a new manager now. There's a whole new approach coming. I think they might uh, maybe shy away from the we've got to get him going against righties thing or whatever the justification was for throwing your lefty specialist at guys who traditionally have hit him really well he didn't pitch that badly against righties this year did he like not that well but it wasn't like the sort would, of thing would you just... like the luis avalon right-handed split from this year David? yeah man lay, yeah. lay the split on me let's hear it i like that you're saying not that bad i just qualify let's qualify not what would you consider not that bad against righties it, like is an ops against uh <laughs> this is where my bar is for Lewis Avalon. Uh, was it below 800? David, it was not below 800. <laughs> Righties against Lewis Avalon this year hit 373, 460, 587. Yeah, I stand by my earlier statement. That's extre- <laughs> it's extremely bad. Well, oh boy. Uh, well, that's not great. He probably won't be back, right? I mean, like, this is just, like, a Mets thing where they had him and, you know, yeah, they were like, well, we didn't use him correctly and he didn't do what we wanted him to do. So, like, best of luck to him. He does know the clubhouse, though. Yeah. And now he's he's an old friend now. He's made it. He, he knows what it takes to win in the NL East. Uh, there's all these different boxes. This is the th- I'm going to – I was telling John, I'm going to write something for Craig, I think, on the, the Beltron move. And I just, like, there's all these little, like – boxes that need checking in order for the Mets to bring anybody in and like Beltron has all of them and yet like I'm still surprised that they actually hired him because there's like you know some exemptions to the old friends clause that Jeff Wilpon seems, hates your guts <laughs> yeah right that would he would seem to be an obvious violation of and yet you know this is that'll be what we what we wind up with I worry about uh anybody coming to the Mets and and getting out of it okay and for whatever reason i mainly i think because of the fact that we've talked about him so much on this podcast like i have kind of a personal interest in wade leblanc and so like i just want him if he was thinking of signing with the mets and if the mets were thinking of signing him like you know sleep on it and think about whether that's really something you want to do what's the most wade leblanc landing spot now is like a journeyman lefty uh 
I mean, like, in the non-depressing division, I mean, like, he could go, like, sign with the Royals and, like, probably be, like, kind of decent. And, like, you'd forget. I was thinking he'd go start for the White Sox, probably, so. Uh, Yeah. Wins 15 games as a bulk innings guy behind the opener in Tampa. Oh. Well, Tampa is always the answer because it's, like, the fact that he would wind up being kind of good there. I, You know, Tampa's not a bad spot for him. He's not going to make any money there, but um, it's, like, you know, he would uh, certainly get to a career high in wins in the Ryan Yarbrough role or whatever. Yeah. And, like, you know, he'd get to pitch in important games and, you know, be on a winning team and stuff. I mean, the Mets honestly are a pretty good fit for him. He does fill that, like, a sort of a need for them. But I think that they, like, for whatever reason, he's, he would seem, like, down market to them in a way that would be uh, off-putting. So I'm like, I'm, I pulled up his Rooks baseball page, as we often do on this show when you're on it. <laughs> this is, I, it introduced me to the phrase below hitting speed, which is something that I've used, explained to people in conversation many times. Just to see if there's like a, you know, like something like a team like Houston or Tampa, they can just like throw this pitch as much as possible. And mm-hmm. I don't know. So the two pitches he threw the most last year were his change and his cutter, which is very Wade LeBlanc. And, you know, both of them were like, not great, really. But they're better than throwing yeah. his fastball ever, really. Yeah, I mean that's well. I mean that was kind of the the, the season his like breakout season. They was slugged five sixty against his sinker. That's so don't. So I would say not to throw that, and that would be a problem with the Mets because the Mets would be like, well, you should throw that. It goes down, and that makes them hit it on the ground. <laughs> but. Yeah, I guess he should go where they're going to uh, let the him. The ground ball rate on his sinker, by the way, was 8.3%. <laughs> <laughs> this implies some issues with the pitch. <laughs> uh, let's, 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 let's reset here and look at the, yeah. the sinker description. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> oh, the sinker no. has below average bellow and results in somewhat more fly balls compared to other pitchers' sinkers. <laughs> Uh, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. This is like saying that Luis Avilon struggled then so much. It fa- then describes his four-seam fastball as having natural sinking action. If if his sinker is allowing almost no grounders yeah. and only slightly more fly balls, how many line drives did he give up on his sinker? Only 5.6%. <laughs> so, how, so everything... Every time he threw the pitch that was designed to induce grounders, 87% of the time, somebody hit it in the air Mm. and seemingly quite, I mean, I guess that's the season we just had. Oh my goodness. He gave up 28 home runs last year, (laughs) 121 innings. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the new baseball probably hurt Wade a little bit too. uh, How do you source for this claim? What are you? (laughs) I'm just, uh, I'm just guessing there. Oh, poor Wade. He'll probably take an NRI, David, so. Yeah. yeah, we wouldn't want to be invited to Port St. Lucie, Florida. I some feel like ex- he got, some expenses paid. I feel like he got done dirty a little bit here by the Mariners because he had the he contract. Like he made a certain amount of starts, and they started putting him behind an opener. Yeah, yeah, that seems like especially you know if it was twenty or twenty-five starts. But. You probably you can't exactly say that the Mariners were were trying to win a lot of games this year either. So that's presumably them just trying to get out of the contract or get out of paying him some bonus. Yeah, it was a five million dollar option. So, 
I, does Wade LeBlanc get a guaranteed contract? I'm guessing no. Yeah, probably not. He needed to get Although, to 160 you know, innings. Should... He only threw 120. Yeah. I, I mean, he probably should. To me, that, like, he's a guy that, like, I mean, like, I just don't the understand. Is, like, these tanking teams need someone to take the ball. Like, look, Wade LeBlanc can take the ball 30 times and get absolutely shelled for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got a rubber arm. He's left-handed. There's a lot of Orioles energy here, actually. Yeah, there kind of is. I mean, I would hope that that's not the future that that he has. Because, like, I mean, he seems like also, I guess it was like Lindsay had, like, dealt with him when she was covering, gosh, when he was with the Yankees. Yeah. She said that he was, like, a really, like, smart, engaged guy. Like, he definitely, like, you know, him having that, like, I mean, it's a career year. He was, like, nine and five with an ERA in the threes. But it was, like, that year in, in Seattle is, like, it's inspiring when to me. that a guy open, it was literally nine and five with a 3.72 I ERA. Was, I, I was, committed I was, to memory. No, I was just looking at it. I would love to say that. Yeah, I have it tattooed on the inside of my arm, so every time I look down, I know. Uh, oh, God. Remember that guy James Fry that wrote the uh, the fake memoir of yes, yes, Million yes, Little yes. Pieces or whatever? The old, the yeah. Old dude. Yeah. Yeah. He had, right, he had a tattoo that was an acronym for, uh, it was just the initials for, fuck the bullshit, it's time to throw down. <laughs> what? Tattooed on his on his hand or something to remind himself to fucking keep it real and uh, write made up memoirs about how he, <laughs> about how he like pulled his own teeth out or whatever. Anyway, that's what I would like to do with the uh, um, stats of Wade LeBlanc's 2017 uh, season, I guess. So Wade like LeBlanc that. needs a big park on a team that's not trying to compete. I think it's the Miami Marlins. No, do you oh. know who it is? It's the San Francisco Giants. Oh, that could actually go well for him. Yeah, and like I could see because they're like trying to be like a process team now, and like I could see them like looking at like we can process Wade LeBlanc up and then flip him at the deadline for somebody's twenty second best prospect. Mm. Yeah, that type of energy that a team can have, like two weeks after, like a week after the season ends, everybody's like, oh yeah, they're already like looking for guys that are playing in the Dominican Summer League that they can trade one of their like their third best starter for. Cool. Gabe Kapler oh. trying to bring Wade LeBlanc into the game, and he hasn't even started warming up yet. Yeah, I can see yeah. that. <laughs> Is a, so they, they've hired Kapler. That's they real. have not, but right. it seems like it might. It'll be like him or like Mark DeRosa, apparently, as long as we're calling some gentlemen. I thought that Joe Spot is still in that mix, too. Is I he? Think. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. Um, what uh, have they narrowed the field? I, mean, I know that the way that a normal team hires a manager <laughs> is you start with like 12 guys and then three secret guys. And then one gets voted off each week, and then eventually you wind up hiring. Who would they wind up with? Then Lance Necro. <laughs> the the, guy, Mets, by the, the most way, Mets was... thing about all of this is Pat Murphy got like a third interview before before we heard he was even in contention. <laughs> it's incredible. The, the secret team... guy was totally, definitely, completely not AJ Hinch. And if you need to know that, AJ Hinch is definitely not calling people and telling them that right now. Yeah. Uh, they, I mean, I think that maybe it's just that, like, the Wilpons le- don't, like, talk to a lot of people in their day-to-day. <laughs> and I mean, so it's kind of like, funny, like, the the process of, like, how this was leaked to the media was really interesting to me as a weird person that pays attention to that shit because they've been podcasting about this team for seven years at this point or whatever. 
I just enjoyed how badly they fucked Andy Martino. <laughs> Fair enough, of Metzlog.com. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's just... Because, like, you can just have a normal... Like, this is who we're considering. Here are our managerial candidates. You don't have to be, like, the nuts and bolts of the interview or anything. These are our candidates. It's the second round. Like, just, like, a normal team. So the weird thing is they did, like, the radical transparency thing with the GM search this year... And then conducted a managerial search with, like, really, really weird parameters. Mystery and, and bombshell and yeah. three rounds of interviews. My hair is like, oh, the third round of the interviews, they're finally meeting with Fred Wilpon one-on-one. I'm like, oh, that can just be the one round of the interviews, because that's what's yeah. going to end up. Uh... All right. And if you're going to bring in five guys for that round of interviews, like, that's about the number that a normal yeah. team interviews the first time anyway. Like, you know, five to seven. It's probably pretty normal. I think there's just people that that Fred wanted to talk to, you know, like seeing if they would like return his call mm. or whatever. So Skip like Schumacher. That, yeah. Or like, I, yeah, I was thinking more like David Charvet of Baywatch, just like calling guys <laughs> that he's always wanted to like chop it up with. And be like, you want to come into uh, like meet me at a place in Oyster Bay and we can talk about this. They had, so Skip Schumacher was like in actually in that mix, right? He got at least one, possibly two interviews. Yeah. I think it was just now, one. He played with Carlos Beltran in St. Louis. If yeah, you yeah. Were watching for we, we, random. We've, uh, we're gonna random throw us, we're gonna throw some names at you for potential Carlos Beltran staff people, David. I want your take. Oh yeah, let's do it. But I know Terry's announced, right? No, Terry's okay. not announced. He, oh, okay. Carlos said in the interview he wanted Terry, and he said that before when he was with the Yankees too. We we are going to reminisce about some fellas. Yeah. All right, let's uh, do it. We're going with hitting coach Jason Giambi. It's too good. Is that? <laughs> No, Does I'm just, I'm, want a coach? no, we're I just mean, making this. No, he wants no, a coach. I, I fuck. I would. I mean, for one thing, it's got all of the the Will Bond yeah, yeah. Splashy Yankees knows how to win. In this case, uh, I I mean, just I imagine he looks like uh like circa now Kevin Nash at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like, he was very when he was doing his like elder statesman pinch hitter thing he was extremely craggy it was more like ted kaczynski i think yes yeah, yeah. Like, fine line which is incredible because he looked like aj soprano well into his 30s <laughs> and then like a switch flipped and suddenly he was just like living outdoors and <laughs> periodically like whatever giving guys advice on like how to identify pitches jason yeah. yambi would be a i mean if they're just gonna like reassemble the uh 2003 American League All-Star team as a coaching staff, I'm definitely into that. We'll, we'll get that. Like Darren Erstad coaching like as a special base running and grit coach. <laughs> uh, bench coach, Tony Pena. Yes. Was his again. manager in Kansas City. Yep. Trust him. He was there, yeah. Another guy who they probably again, have Again, very Wilponian. Yeah. Didn't they draft his kid as well? Uh, or yeah. make him a splashy yes. foreign sign or something. He was a splashy yeah. foreign signing. Yes, it ended up winning. He actually won a World Series ring with the Royals in 2015. Was their third <laughs> oh. catcher. I have acquired a rec- recent Jason Giambi photo. I'm putting it in the. I'm putting it in our G chat. Okay, hang on. Wait, no, I'm having G chat with you guys. Hold on, I'm just gonna put it in the Skype thing. That's yeah, a good you can place do that to too. Yeah, thrilling radio here as I wait it for is. the. Uh, for the message to pop can, up here. You can watch it happen right alongside us. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's like, uh... Oh, it, 
He actually looks like former Tampa radio personality Bubba the Lump Sponge now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, he it's, really... like a, it's a very Floridian energy, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, really, he really squared off. You know, that like the he was always kind of a like a rectangular man. That head is just like a freaking olive loaf. This is extremely now, this is really... overnight sports talk radio in like <laughs> Eastern Long Island. Yeah. I'm also going to put this book, put this picture in the Facebook group, and nobody is going to know why it's there it's for fine. several hours. And it could be a great mystery. They'll figure yeah. it out. Uh, yeah. First base coach Ty Wigginton. Yes. Yeah. Um, I worry that that there's some like that maybe some residual bitterness there or whatever on the Mets part about Wigginton for reasons that nobody would understand. <laughs> Fair that enough. seems like a guy that they would like there'd be some strange will pond beef with where they'll be like and i'll tell you what if i ever see marco scudero again <laughs> you know <laughs> i yeah Wigginton, why not i would love to another guy that i would love to see how he's looking and doing in 2019 third base coach jose akendo mm-hmm. legacy stuff veteran the Mets in the 80s yep and yeah. wasn't that in the before that too so yep. there's like this goes you know it's a little bit of fan service mm-hmm. for the real like the guys that start conversations with you on the seven train that you maybe don't want to have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and of course, uh, pitching coach Derek Lilliquist. Because it's a, a poached dude yes. from another team. Yeah, was there with the Cardinals. Yeah, I can sort of see that. I worry about the pitching coach is the one that I worry about. It could be Ross Child, too. So. Is it, yeah, I mean, if somebody older, like I'm allowed to say this, uh, Jared is, I don't believe that you are. They would love to hire a Jewish guy if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Rothschild would be a delightful choice in that regard. Ty Kelly um, as a quality control coach. Are they are they positive on Ty Kelly? I love Ty Kelly personally. Um, he has. Have you seen his tweets about getting uh, sweet potato ties at uh, the food truck outside the stadium? <laughs> no, he wants it, he wants it inside the stadium. He wants, he a, he wants, a, tr- wants a food truck, but inside the stadium. Okay. Right. He basically wants to do like the Boog Pal mm. or Greg Lazinski thing, except he wants it to be sweet potato ties. Mm-hmm. I I believe in Ty Kelly all the way. He's a delightful follow. He acts in those. Uh, there's a minor leaguer who's from uh, Maine that I followed. We followed each other for a long time. I've never really had much interaction with him. We used to make like little comic videos about being in the minors, and Ty Kelly was like would often show up in supporting roles in those. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name. It's a, a French name, Matt something. Uh, homeless minor leaguer was the thing that he did. Oh, uh, Matt Paré. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've seen Ty Kelly as like a character actor and sometimes in lead parts. And I would love to see him be in the organization. Quality control coach is also the one where they, they bring in guys that just retired that played in the minors mm-hmm. for a long time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They so, also literally just fired. There's like 20 minutes ago. So. They fire Rojas. Uh, no, he wasn't actually, was he the quality? They, hired quality. The, they fired the video guy. Oh, wow. Who uh, is? So I've, 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 I've solved all of our problems here. I got your, I got your first base coach. Is there a way that they would have uh, Banny? Is he t- not gettable? They could, like, with the Red Sox turning him. over and having Porter and Allard Baird there, but they essentially have Jeremy Accardo in that role right now. So, so we we just We're got remembering some very recent guys right now. <laughs> yeah. We just got a Puma news dump about yeah. some coaches. Okay, um, Chili Davis is not under contract for next year. Right. They want to bring him back. He is apparently asking for a lot of money in a multi-year contract. As he probably should. 
he did pretty well, honestly. Like, it seems like I know there was a lot of concern about him because he was very. The, the Mets are kvetching about money with their freaking hitting coach. Yeah. Like, that's if you can't pay your hitting coach, then I think the rest of the offseason is going to be pretty unpleasant for everyone. Gary but, DeSarcina is likely returning. The role is not currently known, which sure. is a little scary for a lot of reasons. Glenn Sherlock will likely not be back, although it's the end of his contract. Mm -hmm. And Mike Wickham, who is the replay coordinator, has been fired. All right. You got to You got to I don't even know if there are any good replay reviews this year or not. But anyway, I've got your first base coach that solves a lot of the uh, problems that David just discussed. And he does, I believe, have some managerial experience. Specifically with like, who's like a player coach for Team Israel? And that's Sean Green. (laughs) Oh, man. I mean, this is like, that's checking all of the boxes there, including the forbidden box that you are not allowed to mention. Yeah, yeah. I, has Sean, so he has done some stuff with coaching and recently. I just assume all these guys, as soon as they're done with baseball, are just like running a bunch of Arby's franchises in Surprise, Arizona and hanging out. I feel like Sean Green made more money than you think playing baseball, too. So much money. Yeah. I mean, he's probably got $100 million. Yeah. Literally $100 million and 616000 Yeah. Wow. I had no idea that it was that close. Uh, I don't want to take too much credit for that. But yeah, man, that um, anything that involves them bringing back actual guys that are, you know, like that either people that Beltron knows or just like that has some sort of sentimental value to Mets fans. Like that both like feels like the thing they would do because like they don't really know what coaches do or care that much. But also, like, that is, you know, a little bit of the sort of, like, folkloric Wilpon shit that I actually happen to like. Like, I wouldn't mind looking at Ty Wigginton out there, like, clapping his hands every night all summer. Like, that's fine by me. I mean, I have very fond memories of Mookie Wilson at first base running the stopwatch. Like, Yeah. Why did that end? It, the Mets eventually either, you know, they, they always turn on the guys. For reasons, they're like, yeah. yeah, he knows what he did. Yeah, Mookie Wilson, Tim Tuffle, that's I guess true. Edgardo Alfonso most recently. Yeah, that's the one that, and they fired him after he won, he won. the New York Penn League World Series, right? Which is all they really want. Brooklyn yeah. brought a championship back to Brooklyn, David. They did it. Put a rotunda on that stadium and call it a day. <laughs> At that point, you can sell. So what what could possibly be the thing that Edgardo Alfonso did wrong in winning a short season World Series as a beloved icon of the team? Was it just that I always assumed with them? And this so was they fancy so they fancy themselves basically they're like an advanced analytical organization now, and oh, most the teams that are those things actually like have much tighter control over sort of minor league coaching and like a top down mentality for player development. So they want to like bring in their own guys who don't actually exist, by the way, as right, far as I can tell. Is it like <laughs> there's, there's no guys no, to bring in? So there's no analytics department. That too. David, whatever. And also, as you, I think, have pointed out that there's like none of the the video like trackman shit that other teams have. Like that also is not at Keyspan. So they're like either, very right? quietly like losing scouts too. If you've noticed, like Tommy Jackson, who's been there like Southeast guy forever. He's extremely well regarded. Extremely well regarded is now with the Nationals. Did did not have time, a difficult time finding a new game. No, no, he did not. (laughs) 
So what is that? Because like, other teams, beyond their uh, impossible to David, deal with? teams that are analytically advanced and modern organizations have like hybrid roles where you have like a little bit of video, a little bit of coding, a little bit of scouting, a little bit of the bubbly, a little bit of the bubbly. <laughs> I mean, they might be hiring those guys. I have not seen any job postings for it, but it just so the thing is, you're going to hire those guys for forty grand, right? And Tommy Jackson's making twice that at least. And you're going to do it at the winter meetings, and it's going to be young, upwardly mobile job seekers. Yes, and that's how you become a modern baseball organization: is that you hire, you know, whatever dudes from Dartmouth, Brandon Taubman's nephew, or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> it is was, more efficient yeah. it's very important to be more efficient i like the idea of the hybrid thing makes sense to me it just is also the sort of deal where like losing well-regarded veteran scouts doesn't seem to make sense i was struck in reading about the taubman thing that the Ast- he's the head of the pro scouting department on the astros which has yes. no people in it <laughs> or no scouts no scouts but plenty of like quants yes Yes, they were basically, they they were going after 23-year-old dudes right out of college exactly to basically go watch a bunch of video and do sequel careers. That was that was what they wanted their pro scouting department to be To be fair, do. they have better video than the Mets get. I've seen the little, like, Sony Handycams they put behind home plate, so. Right. <laughs> and hey, I'm not joking, it's literally what they are. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's, like, expensive, but it's also the sort it's of thing where, like, expensive. it's not that expensive, and it's also the sort of thing where, like, that's the thing that even cheap teams are willing to spend money on. Like, the Astros are going to, like, let Garrett Cole walk, but I'm assuming that, like, all of their whatever video and, and other technology, even in minor league parks, is state-of-the-art because they know that, like, you know, and again, if I may put my business voice on here for a bit, like, the return on investment in that is going to be very, very good because you'll understand your own system a lot better. I don't know what the... It seems like all the stuff the Mets do feels like kind of like window dressing and stuff. Like, they just feel like they've been annoyed enough that they're like, what, what? We have, like, an analytics department. It's it's this guy, Peter. <laughs> David, <laughs> like, I, I know there's no... there's I know there's no recent parallel for this uh, that will come to mind immediately, but it I, feels like we understand the Mets and how they work better than the Mets actually do. Yeah... Yeah, I don't know what you're driving at. Yes, it does have that. Well, I mean, this is the advantage of not having any insight, right? Is that, like, you can keep, like, not just that the Mets can continue to lose for the same reasons and in the same way, but, like, the magical part of it is that they're surprised every time it happens. Like, that's really the the remarkable shit to me. But So we're we're a half hour into the show. We have actually not gotten your official take on the Mets hiring Carlos Beltran as manager. Oh, I'm happy to share that, uh, right. and I'll I'll do it directly. I'm I am pleased about it, and I'm kind of as somebody who loves Carlos Beltran, like preemptively sad for him, <laughs> just because I feel like it's gonna. No one comes out of that job looking better than they did when they went in, and he's not going to come out of it looking like a creep or an asshole. But he's going to be treated very badly by the people that are his bosses. Just if any, if past is any indication of how that's going to go. Am I missing something with it? I mean, like, do you think that he would get a wider berth? It seems like, and Brody's not said a thing about the hire yet. Yes, he has not. Do you want the uh, the only quote I can find on it is a, is a statement from Jeff Wilpon. We are thrilled, <laughs> as we know our passionate fans will be, to have him back in the family. Ah, uh, 
that felt so, uh, authentic. Yeah. It felt real. It, it, it is not as I suggested on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> the Jeff Wilpon version of the tweet something that lets people know you were kidnapped meme. <laughs> <laughs> Which is accurate. So the issue that they had with, with Beltron was that uh, they paid him a lot. He was good. And he didn't swing at an impossible to hit pitch in 2006. That's the that's the sum of it, right? That's yeah. why they he also he also, he also yeah. had what they considered elective knee surgery instead of playing through degenerative arthritis. Oh yeah, that's a very Mets thing. Like they're mad at Cespedes where he's got like a disease in his ankles that no one's ever seen before, and they're like, "Well, then how bad could it be? Come on." Oh. I already saw, I, I've already seen the he will motivate Yoenis takes. Um, yeah. The famously the, unreachable. Like, yes, yes. It's not a motivation injury. It's his heels, right? <laughs> it's his ankle now, too. Yeah, yeah his, his mean, lower body is calcifying at an alarming rate. It's not clear if he's like, able to walk at this point. <laughs> Maybe what he needs is to be inspired by a peer to play through an injury that no athlete has ever played through or possibly sustained. Yeah. This is the problem I think with ownership that supersedes all the other ones. Like obviously the, the cheapness and the other stuff, those like shitty vibes, that constant like leaking, carping, like unsatisfied, grousey stuff. There are fans that sound like that. I think that there aren't that many relative to the owners that like this team was so likable they clearly this year's team especially like really played hard they seem to enjoy playing with and for each other that's all you want to see in a baseball team and there's still this sense that like the only people that are unsatisfied by that and that are unsatisfied in a way that's somehow least productive are the people that are in charge of all of it I, I am most concerned and I think this is going to manifest the most the WFAN although I guess there's a decent chance like Mushnick writes a column on it and I could, you know, the New York Post back cover today was already a little, a little questionable, you know, it was a little questionable. What did it say? Uh, Los Mets with a angry looking picture of Beltron. It took me back to a certain period in time. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that time might've been a little racist. Yeah, and, uh, the uh, the exclusively white beat of the New York Post trying to reclaim Los Mets, which was definitely not a slightly racist thing in two thousand five, is a so that is a was, luck. when they said it. Then it was basically just that they had like we noticed that a lot of you guys speak Spanish. That's <laughs> what it was. Well, no, cool. no, it was because so Omar was hiring his people, and his people were, yeah. and they did like oh, a Los yeah. Mets advertising campaign. They did. Yeah, and I remember then... you see sometimes you see like a T shirt show up at the Goodwill that says Los Mets on it in cursive. <laughs> You meaning me, I yeah, should say. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the idea that a guy is coming in and that there's like a segment of the fan base, a segment of the media. I mean, and if they'd hired Eduardo a Perez, portion. I think a lot of this would have happened too. So. Yeah, that's what I mean. But I think in this case, there's this additional bit where like the ownership is still salty at him for like taking a bunch of their money and having the best seasons of his <laughs> Hall of Fame baseball career there. <laughs> like Five All-Star games in seven years, David. Yeah. So it sort of makes you think that maybe they can't be pleased. But like the idea that you're starting out with that, that like the first week of this guy being on the job, that like the only people that aren't happy about it are the people that are paying him, the people that are writing about him. <laughs> and, like that's not ideal. 
man, he's one year older than me. Yeah. That's that's a little too close for comfort. That's fine though. Maybe maybe someday he'll dress as you for Halloween. That would be nice. I would love to uh yeah. I, I think that if I were a child I would have dressed as Carlos Beltran for Halloween. That's obviously I'm a very easy costume to do. A guy that's written for me. <laughs> I in saw the past, somebody posted it on Ed Citron did. Yeah. I hope he didn't like wear that out of the house. That might have just <laughs> been one of those things where like, he'd taken his contacts out, he was wearing a shirt, he had an idea. And there it was. Folks, I, I have a very important announcement. Brooks Pounders just pitched a clean inning for Team USA in Olympic qualifying. Brooks. I want to, should I see what this Team USA roster looks like? <laughs> we did this a couple of weeks yeah, ago. It's but, like mostly yeah. interesting prospects and Eric Kratz. Yeah. Oh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah. I didn't realize that Eric Kratz was, I guess he was like really good in the postseason. Was it like last year? Maybe. Yes. He picked then, up, like, the starting... I think it was two years ago. I think it was two years ago. Yeah. He was only 17 for the Were Brewers. Like, no, it was, was 2018 it? for the Brewers. Was it? Yeah. He wasn't oh, there. Yeah, he was like, okay. Yeah. He had an empty 292 for the Brewers. Which, you know, at the time, I think I probably compared him to fucking Buster Posey in print at least <laughs> once. I was excited about that team. Oh, yeah, this is all, like, good players that I've heard of on this roster. Kind of disappointing. Mm. And like Eric Kratz and Brooks Pounders, just yeah. because there's like some random dudes. Brian Flynn. Yeah, there's some guys in here mixed in with the dudes, which is nice to see. Eric Kratz, 39. This is That's such a, a Olympic team like trope now. I remember the one that there was one where like Pat Borders was on it. And he had been like fully out of baseball, it seems like, for years. And then just like came back to like catch Ben Sheets. <laughs> and like whoever. I believe that was in 2000. Yeah. Ah, uh, Clayton Richard. If it makes you feel better, the uh, Canadian national baseball team might be more your speed. Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you the highlights. Uh, Adam, right. Adam Lowen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Outfield or pitching? Pitching. Good. Uh, Scott Messiason. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I can never pronounce this. It's like Evan Rutkidge. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. There's a couple of... There's a T and a G, yeah, yeah. but there's not enough between them. Yeah. Uh, Rob Zestrinsky. Wow. They picked some of their most difficult to say names for this team. Uh, Andy Yerzy. Mm-hmm. I was using a Rob Zestrinsky card as a bookmark uh, just recently in a book that I was reading. Michael Saunders, who apparently is not on a 40-man roster somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Justin Morneau, still. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Did I thought... he retire? Yeah, oh, yeah, he definitely retired, man. Like, that several is... years ago. <laughs> Uh, both Pompey brothers, Dalton and Tristan. And uh, hey, there's a Larry Walker sighting as a coach. So Nice. Did Dalton find a new team? They DFA'd him at the end of the year, right? I believe so. Yeah. That's probably why he's... You can't be on a 40-man to be eligible for this tournament. So. Ah, that makes some sense. Yeah, because the MLBPA and the MLB could not come to an agree- agreement with the IOC on player usage. So Another good sign. I'm sure yeah. they can... If they struggle with stuff like that, I'm sure the next collective bargaining agreement will be a relative snap. Oh, yeah. Collective bargaining negotiations are great. Yeah. So what can you guys tell me about the Beltron thing that I don't know? Is there anything that, about nothing. that that, like, it seems like there's maybe not as as much to it, that this is, like, the issue is just the the vibe is the, the part that sets it apart like, from if other been, teams. If he had been hired, hired by a manager at, like, literally any other team in baseball... 
it would be just like a normal ex-player, well-regarded. Yeah, looking yeah. forward to seeing how he does. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Something about this situation, too. It's weird, because like, the season ended on this insane high note with that walk-off and stuff. And like I think people really... Like, fans really love this team. There is, like, accidentally or on purpose, like, there are a ton of really good young players on this team who aren't getting paid yet. No, like, I, I pointed this out in one of my group DMs. Like, they've accidentally stumbled into a a good young core. Like, they weren't going to draft Pete Alonso, so they are going to take Will Craig in the first round that year. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Dunn, I don't remember if Dunn fell to them, or they got, they got on Dunn late, but they were linked to Will Craig, who's basically the same kind of... Uh, right right first baseman dude mm-hmm. but i'm like assuming a, and also probably like three-year college whatever yeah he was at fuck i'm actually it's like an just sec school or an acc wait, school. wait wake forest yeah. yeah he also pitched too so it's like some jd davis energy there as well mm-hmm. um he's still <laughs> in double i think i think he got to triple a this year he's not very good um so i mean pete alonzo is gonna win rookie of the year um i'm still not convinced they think jeff mcneil is good <laughs> I, you know, the evidence is definitely there. Like, certainly, the fact that they've continually refused to use him in the ways yeah. in which he might most advantageously be used has a very sort of, like, Metsy thing, where they're just, I, like... I'm definitely convinced they don't think Michael Conforto is good. That's been true for years, which yeah, is yeah. insane, but is also, yeah, it's like the... Who was it that said that every, was it uh, Keith Law that was like every team's got a Conforto? No, that was not Keith Law. That was baseball that prospectus. Was, that was, <laughs> okay. that was a baseball oh. prospectus staffer who will remain nameless. All right, that's fair. But I mean, I think that Keith, like the Mets Keith, are the to be one fair, team was that took that shit to heart. Conforto, even like as of the draft. Okay. Right. He was. Yeah. It was McNeil that Law was very stubborn about. Yes. Yeah. Um, very, very, very stubborn. Yeah. McNeil is such a delight, man. And like, while I know that it's probably for the best that Dominic Smith goes, and I have no idea if he's any good or not, like, he's as likable a goofy Met, like a guy Dominic, that like. Haven't you heard of Dominic Smith for Jackie Bradley Jr.? <laughs> yeah, that the classic trade that both teams would instantly make. I mean, I guess if the Red, I mean, the Red Sox are are in a interesting position this offseason too, right? Because it's like the assumption with the GM hire is that they're going to start taking things apart, and they have so many really good players. And some of like they can't trade the really expensive ones, but like they're not going to just like give away Mookie Betts or Jackie Bradley Jr. or anything like that, right? Like you can't. It's an interesting they question. They absolutely David. can. I'm in a silence in response to that. Like I just feel like that would make they fans can. who's trading for Mookie Betts on a one year, thirty million dollar contract. It feels kind of messy to be honest, but I don't know. That's like the one team you could. So as Jarrett and I have said on the podcast over the years, the one thing you say about the Mets is. They at least try to win and are willing to take on short-term money, but definitely not long-term money. Yep. Which is, it was it Craig that predicted like a cinder guard for, for bets, like sort of like a challenge deal. I think that was uh, Nick Schaefer in the Mets hindsight on the okay. site. Yeah. yeah, it was somebody. I remember reading it on BP and like that, not a trade that I think I personally would make. If I'm being honest. Speaking of young core players they don't believe in, they've been trying to trade Noah Syndergaard for a year straight at this point. Yes, which is incredible. But again, it's like, especially this was... We keep telling him to throw a sinker and it's not working. It must be his fault. Right. He's stubborn about that. He won't become a different type of pitcher. This was something that, you know, when I was taking stuff at the end of of the, the last day at Deadspin before they turned my access to the content management system off. I was just going through and finding old drafts of stuff, things I'd started and didn't finish. Uh, just that I didn't want them. I don't think they would do that even as, as bad as it's been since we left. I didn't think that they were just going to like press 
publish on some shit that I started years, you know, a year ago. But I don't know. Uh, but you want to you want to revisit that in light of the last twenty four hours? <laughs> I, I know, I know. Well, they haven't. If they did it with somebody that was like in the bargaining unit, that would be real bad, okay. Okay. you know. But the. It's, I mean, because they definitely have not violated federal labor law at any point in this whole process. Oh my gosh! I mean, they've violated it. It's it's funny. Like this is going to be a real. I mean, I don't think anybody wants to be in front of whoever it is that Donald Trump put on the NLRB. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming it's like the general from the insurance commercials. <laughs> you know, like who is actually on that thing? Uh, but the, uh, like the freelancers stuff is it's been real bad, just in terms of like unpublishing and then republishing freelance yeah. stuff. The I guess like the piece that ran yesterday was like pitched to HR, which is insane. <laughs> like, uh, but they're, whatever, I, they're utterly through the looking glass. Anyway, I was taking my stuff off of Kinja and sending it to myself so I would have it. And I had I found um, it's 850 words of pre-write on Noah Syndergaard getting traded to the Astros. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. And the last words of it are, as for the Mets' return, Cole. <laughs> that was it. So I, yeah. But so, I, feel, I have that now, and it's like, whenever I need it, if that is actually what happens, then I'll just be able to plug in whoever. I'll be like, Mookie Betts is a splendid player, or you know, or whatever, like Kyle Tucker and Derek Fisher, or whoever it is they wind up getting. My, was the guy, that the infielder, that you guys were convinced they were going to get? Like a shitty version of McNeil? From the Astros. Shitty version of McNeil, infielder for like, the Astros. Like an in- infielder, outfielder type. He steals a lot of bases. Oh, ex- uh, Miles Straw. Miles Straw. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I knew he had a great name, but I didn't remember what it was. And I was going through it in my head. And I was like, Travis Wheat? Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I have one article like that where I just have pre-written copy for when it happens the tim tebow call up it is the tim tebow call up article uh, amazing it's been sitting there That's for two good. years now i think <laughs> i guess i wrote it i wrote it in like august 2017 i remember you were joking around about this too that you had like the nat season wrap-up thing like ready to go for them blowing the wild card game and right like- so i wrote i the original draft of the nats season review article was I wrote it like two days before the wild card game um, like in that like time period and the theme of the article was well at least they got one up on Bryce Harper and the bold prediction was that they would finally advance the playoff series so then in the divisional round obviously it looked like they were going to get eliminated in game four for a while so I updated the article like the afternoon of game four and this game four was going on and it was basically still Bryce Harper themed and it was like, well, at least they did better. You know, at least they like advanced the playoff series and the bold prediction was going to be that they actually win a playoff series next year. And then I kept updating it in game five and then game five was where I changed it like from a Bryce Harper theme to like. Well, you know, they made a really nice run at it, but, like, they were just stretching their pitching staff way too far. Yeah, baseball's and, a funny game. You never know. Yeah, like, yeah. That I was, that one that was, that was good gonna, to go, too. <laughs> that was going to tie into the what went wrong part, because the what went wrong part was going to be how bad their bullpen was. And it still kind of was as published, although it wasn't yeah. exactly the same. So then that article just sat there. And then I updated it again the day before Game 6 of the World Series because, you know, it sort of looked like they were going to get eliminated. So during the off day, I went through and updated it, and I softened it some more. 
about how, you know, well, they, you know, they went on this magical run, but the Astros were just too much at the end, and there's yeah. no shame in that. You know, how great was it that they won the pennant, but, you know, what can they do? And then after they won game six, I just, I literally didn't even turn my laptop on until the last out in game seven, because if they had, if they had somehow blew that and Sydney found out that I was like pre-writing it, she literally would have came up to New Jersey and killed me. Yes. So. No. And that's a hundred percent fair. I think at some point you have to accept that like there are limits to the iterative blogging process. You can't so, really like, tell where this is going to go. So, so I texted Colin like around the seventh inning and I was like, you know, I know this was supposed to be pre-filed, but like, I'm just like, give me like 45 minutes after the game to like fix this. So I wrote all this stuff about them actually winning the World Series like 45 minutes after the game. Although like the intermediate copy was still, you know, the article looks basically nothing like it did in the first iteration, but none of the iterations itself were individually large, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you could have been – the point was fundamentally the same and sound right up until the moment they won the fucking World Series, at which point, like, yeah, as your instincts for it did not fail you there. You have to start again at that point. Right. I mean, like, you know, like a lot of the copy was still usable because I had already, like, made it very, like, positive and, like, what a, what a run and all that kind of stuff just when they made the World Series. But, yeah. you know, obviously. And then I was like – I had to come up with a bold prediction at the end, and I was like – I'm just sitting there thinking, like, what the fuck can I predict that is actually bolder than what happened? And I just went to Colin, and I'm like, I can't do this. Like, let me just make the bold prediction, like, a congratulations. So we went with that. Yeah. It's hard to know, like, where any of this would go from here, too. Because, like, you don't want to be definitely at that point, like, later in the offseason, we can talk about, like, you know, how things are going to change and how the team is going to change or whatever. But, yeah, like, that would be a rude move at the end of like a world series victory thing of being like bold prediction, like Steven Strasburg to the Dodgers. Ugh, like it's kind of like right. annoying. It would be bad. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to write a bold prediction that Anthony Rendon is going to leave. That's going to be the end of the season review article for this world series team that had more like comeback wins than any team ever in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, who knows where he's going or where Strasburg's going or whatever, but the, I don't know. I, I found myself really, you know, I, I still think like the fan base is, is what it is, you know, like that there's like the actual fans are cool, but then there's this whole tier of like defense contractors and whatever. But like they booed the shit out of Donald Trump at a World Series game. Like I might like the Nats now. So we discussed this with Craig a couple of weeks ago. They're like, actually, if they weren't in the NL East, a very likable team. Absolutely. You know, is it like a fairly recent expansion team that won a World Series and like the best players they have are fantastic. Like Soto is a delight, like absolutely what the sport needs. Like if you care about baseball, you should like Juan Soto. It's not like a cool thing to be able to say about somebody. But they do play in the NL East, and that's going to be a problem for me. <laughs> but the, uh, but not a, I, sh- I shouldn't let it be a deal breaker. I was happy that I was eventually able to sort of get to yes on that one. Because, like, you know, you should be able to enjoy the World Series, especially, I mean, like, the the whole Astros thing was like, I mean, that team is, is brilliant. I mean, it really is like a, a basically perfect baseball team. But I don't think that that means that I have to like them or like what they represent. Yeah. I, that was, and I kind of agree with the idea that like the Astros losing, like isn't 
enough. Like, like I, I enjoyed the Shin Freud part too, but like it's almost like I, we talked a lot about this uh, in regards to Luke Heimlich, and it came back up recently when Luke Heimlich pitched in the Arizona Fall League, and like people were celebrating that Joey Bart hit a home run off of him, and just like. The dude giving up a home run in the Arizona Fall League is just, like, way too small for the gravity of what actually happened there. Yeah. And, like, the Astros, like, just hilariously losing the last two games of the World Series. It felt good, but I don't want that to, like, become bigger than the really bad shit they did and have continued to do over the last seven or eight years fairly regularly. Yeah, that seems to be the thing that, like, eventually you know, the story will be told or whatever, but that like, it just seems like a, a real, a real bad place to work uh, and overseen by a, a pretty bad guy in Luno. And, you know, and obviously whatever the owners of like literally a war profiteer, like it's not <laughs> one could yeah. say that this is a top down thing, but it is like, it's weird though, because like their best players are super likable too. Like I like all across that infield is except for, I guess, first base is stuff that I really like. I I agree with that to some extent, um, but at the same time, awful lot of supportive quotes from teammates about Roberto Osuna and teammates in the past that have spoken out about domestic violence issues, and they do the same line that Osuna himself does. Well, you don't know what happened there, or you know, if you just get to know him, he's a good guy. All, all of the things people say about the people they know that are really terrible, but they don't want to admit it. And yeah. I, I don't think that's uncommon or unusual. Certainly no parallels in the baseball writing community recently. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, you know, Justin Verlander and Lance McCullers have spoken out about domestic violence in baseball, but they've never really spoken out about Osuna. I suppose on the one hand, there is sort of the, like, they can't really pick their teammates is the thing. Yeah. I, 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 and I get I not wanting to, yeah, like, yeah, make it yeah. weird. Is like, I mean, it's still kind of shitty. Don't get me wrong. But at, at but, the same time, if that clubhouse had rejected yeah. him, he wouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You know? The... These are players, you know, Justin Verlander is a Hall of Fame player who speaks out on everything under the sun and had the leverage of threatening to leave. And, you know. I, w- I wonder to what extent the, like, the, the culture of the place makes that sort of thing possible. Like, of, of that clubhouse and then of clubhouses in general. I, I mean, it, I definitely agree that, like, there, for people that have spoken up on that issue to be silent on him feels hypocritical. And yet at the same time, like this is not the normal workplace. This is not, as you said, it's not a place where you get that much agency in deciding who's there or whatever. And you still have to go to work with them all the time. But it is weird. Osuna's not ever appeared remotely contrite about any of this, has he? Uh, um, well, Bob Nightingale has given him a platform multiple uh, times. What a weird little beat that guy has carved out for himself of late. It's like uh, just as a like, to launder dudes, and then a couple times a year, just like Goose Gossage calls him up and just like <laughs> I mean, he's not the uh, Goose Gossage's got a lot of guys on. That's half the full time writers in the community. He's just way more blatant and has no shame about it. Yeah, like you know. 
there's an awful lot of writers in the baseball community that are just straight-up stenographers for whatever the front office and the players and the coaches and the managers want them to write. That's There's a lot of people who do that. There's a lot of stooges. Bob just has no shame about it. Yeah, I guess it's like that's part of like the transactional element of it. And I suppose that like every I mean, whatever, like Peter Gammons would do a lot of that, too. But like he added value in other places. I think it's like when you see that and then there's not really a lot of additional value being provided. I suppose that's worse. Yeah. One thing I'll say for Bob Nightingale, and I don't want to it's not about a personal thing or whatever. He has, I think, the most pixelated AVI on Twitter that I've ever seen that wasn't like some uh, like washed out QAnon ant. I mean, <laughs> like it is really as, remarkable. As we know from the uh, official MLB cut for a Twitter account, it was quite possibly taken with a Motorola razor, David. So it has to have been. I mean, it's like there's no phone that has been made since Barack Obama was elected that could take a picture like that. I've never noticed. So the non-upscaled version of this picture is, like, smaller than, like, it appears in my browser. Like, it's, like, the first Twitter picture I've ever seen that actually shrinks when I, like, click through to it. <laughs> That's how bad the resolution is. 25 but it pixels looks, by 25 pixels. You gotta get it right. It's like it looks a, like, like I, I think it's just, like, his official USA Today headshot, though. Like, why couldn't they provide him with a better version of this? I think that it would be hard to provide him with a worse version of it, if we're being honest about it. But, yeah, I... <laughs> so what his attempt to, like, give Osuna a chance to speak his piece or whatever, like, Osuna still couldn't really come up with much. I know it's not his job to talk. It's his job so, to pitch. So but that's, progression... that's what it was, was like, you know, that's between us, it's personal... So, I, and I do want to warn people because we are going to probably delve into some domestic violence specifics here. So, just jump ahead five minutes if that's uh, something that upsets you. Um, basically, when Osuna originally got arrested and it came out and he was suspended, it was, well,. I'll talk, you know, I can't talk for legal reasons, but I'm going to be vindicated in the legal process. And when the Astros traded for him, there was like one press availability where it was like made clear that I can't talk now, but I'll talk after the legal thing. And then he just refused to talk after the legal proceedings ended. And he wasn't vindicated in the legal proceedings. And he still. And from that point, he just refused to discuss it. And the Astros PR arm, as best as I can tell, and I don't deal directly with the Houston Astros PR, although I think it's pretty safe to say that the Houston Astros PR is very willing to defend the interests of Houston Astros who have done bad things based on the last month. Yeah, it seems like that's kind of their defining attribute in the eyes of the general public. They... You know, they, there was no, you know, it, it, it continued to be like, you just can't ask them about this. And then, you know, during the world's and Bob Nightingale wrote a feature on him last year in which he was defiant and said all this shit. And then this year, the same thing happened. And there were people that I saw that attempted to defend it as good journalism and, you know, 
it's not good journalism. It's just writing. It's writing what a powerful person wants you to write. Yeah. So you can so you can get something else from later. Like there was no there was no journalism involved in that. There was no attempt to seek the actual story. There was no attempt to seek anything on how Roberto Asuna actually felt about the Brandon Taubman incident. It was just him whining that his name came up again and complaining that his, you know, why are we still talking about my domestic violence? Well, that I've, that I've refused to ever talk about. Right. You, you never talked about it. You know, why can't we just leave this in the past? Well, it can't be in the past because you never put it to bed. You have, you have never shown any remorse. And this, you know, Carlos Correa and Robinson Torinos were both quoted in that piece talking about how great a dude he was. And I... Yeah, no, that, that would color the way that you would understand uh, Carlos Correa yeah. and Robinson Carinos for sure, but... Yeah, and I... I just, I don't know, man. Like, nobody on that team ever spoke out and said, you know, what this dude was... What this dude did was bullshit, and, you know, I don't want him on my team. And... Yeah, Justin Verlander's career. Justin Verlander's career is not going to suffer if he does that. Alex Bregman's career is not going to suffer if he does that. Jose Altuve's career is not going to suffer if he does that. Yeah, they have dudes that are not actually touchable by the ownership of that team or the management of that team, and the only reason that they were able to acquire Osuna in that fashion is because they saw that they would pay almost no price for this. And the value that he was going to provide on the field was so much in was so much better than what they were giving up, which is ironic because Ken Giles was arguably not actually worse this year. Yeah. But you know, for whatever reason, Ken Giles wasn't with the program anymore, so he had to be banished because this place basically sounds like a fucking cult. And so that's the part of it that I don't understand about it. So that like Giles, I know had been like his performance was not the best or whatever, but it was a sense that he wasn't getting with the program. Was he like insisting on not following the pitch design thing that they'd set up for him or what? The story of that, to my knowledge, never fully came out, but along those lines, yeah, that he was just, he was resistant to coaching. He was resistant to their, ideas he was resistant to i think there was an incident like when he like blew up on the mound at somebody oh that makes sense yeah and like it was just like he's gone like you know we're, we're gonna try and get something for him but you know so it was like in in like their weird minds it was like trading distressed asset for distressed asset and right but somehow it was the same that like a guy who like doesn't have this willingness to follow coaching and then this other guy who like committed a serious crime yes <laughs> and i'm now sure that's efficient them, baby right to them the serious crime is probably a much less big issue than the not listening to their weird ass you know analytics ideas yeah um, well, it's an easy team to cheer against right i i just worry that cheering against them is almost too small well, in the sense that it like it makes them sort of a, a bad guy, like a heel in a binary right. when right. it's more than that. I think that maybe that will change. I think that the 
the under I mean, it's not going to change in the sense that, like, I don't think that there's organizationally a desire to take a different approach, you know, that, like, it's working quite well for them. It's working quite well for Crane. And, you know, I think that, like, it would have to be something really embarrassing for Luno to, to lose his job. And I, rich people don't get embarrassed anymore, you know? Like, so there's there's a problem there with that. If they didn't fire him over the Brady Aiken stuff, and I know the retcon on the Brady Aiken, Jacob Nix, Mac Marshall stuff is that they were right to do it because the the compensatory pick for that ended up being Alex Bregman. They didn't lose the compensatory pick in the grievance because they paid Nix to go away and Brady Aiken proceeded to have Tommy John surgery and probably isn't going to make it. And Jacob Nix himself turned out to be a weird, creepy dude. But... Oh, is Nix the guy that got... In trouble, like, sneaking into someone's house or whatever? So the same guy that they illegally signed and should have lost draft picks for going over the They didn't illegally cap, sign him. They legally, illegally agreed to a deal with. That they ended up not having they the illegally backed cap. out of said deal that they had agreed to. Yes. Was indeed Jacob Nix, who is the San Diego, who is now the San Diego Padre that was recently arrested for breaking and entering through a doggy door. Which apparently is illegal in Obama's America. <laughs> Arizona, too. Yeah, it's funny. That's just Arizona culture. You have to respect that. That's why he got tased. So Yeah. And yeah. Aiken, I guess he just was coming back from injury. He walked yeah. six guys in two-thirds of an inning in Class A this year. So the thing is, he's not coming back from injury is the problem. Is that what it is? That he's just like... Yeah. I know that's like a thing that happens. And the Mets have a guy who had like Tommy John surgery and then like not just wasn't good afterwards, I mean, but like basically never pitched. They had a bunch. How long do you but got, David? <laughs> it was uh, Molina is the guy. Marcos like, Molina. Molina yeah. yeah. But they've you know, had, Thomas Zapucky got a late start to the year, really never got fully stretched out and then got pulled from the AFL for a vague elbow soreness. Jordan uh, Humphreys. Jordan Humphreys. You know, Zach Wheeler two years to come back and then was bad the first year he actually could get on a mound consistently. And then, How does and then got shut team? down quickly that Isn't year. Isn't there just like an injury, like, a, like an industry standard approach to like how you rehabilitate that surgery at this point? I mean, yes and no. Like, I know it's not easy and it's never right. like assumed that any of this is automatically going to, to go one way or the other. But if you're having worse results with that than other teams, then, like, I, I, we're talking about the Mets. I shouldn't, <laughs> like, I was going to say, like, that would seem to be an easy one to fix. You just figure out what other teams are doing and try to do it. But that's not, that's not how the Mets solve no, problems. They, they, as we sort of discussed at the outset, they're, you know, figuring out what other teams are doing and just pretend they're doing that already. Yeah. I'm like, what, what? Stop yelling at us. As an organizational process, that's a pretty solid motto. Start there and then you just... Just watch those wins pile up. Oh, Seems like a good I, place to leave it. Yeah, I want to leave it yeah, there. Yeah, I, I think we've officially run out of. Yeah. That's fair. You know, it's 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 November, and we're talking about the Mets. I think that's fine to leave it there if it comes to that. I appreciate you guys having me on. This is good. I'm trying. I'm going to be doing a lot of like podcast stuff over the next few days. Just I think in part because I don't really feel like writing right now, and uh, I don't know. It's always good to talk to you guys. I appreciate it. Just on a personal level, it's nice to be able to do. Thank you for coming on with us, David. We all we always enjoy your contributions. We appreciate you greatly. And please, God, like find somewhere to write about the president in your. I mean, that's way. what they're, and what the they're trying to do. I can't forget yeah. that. Well, the Wilpons thing I'll be doing sooner, uh, but then 
yeah, that's what I'm going to try to do these next couple of weeks is like try to work on a book proposal and, and see if that's like, if that has any legs and if it doesn't, I'll go back to doing it whenever. I mean, like, I think we're going to try to just do another dead spin someplace. I really feel like there's some interest in that. Um, the part of the staffers and their money people that want to do it. And like, without all the legacy shit, like it's really not that hard to make a profit. Wait, wait, you're like seeing a people whose job is making money sees profit in dead spin. <laughs> So I'm saying though, I made money in the past. I mean, it's just like in this case, we ran into a guy who didn't, who cared about his own weird swinging dick bullshit more than he cared about making money. Did, did you watch the ABC Dramedy Sports Night about 20 years ago, David? I feel like I've seen episodes, but I don't remember it very well. So that they end up having a essentially a fight with like their fake ABC because all Aaron Sorkin knows how to do is write his own shit. Yeah. And it's like, at the time, it's like David Aaron... Simon, but without any political consciousness. But it's right. the same deal, yeah, just like rehashing stuff from a few years ago, being like, this is what I should have said. Well, well, no, he was actually doing it at the time it was happening. Oh, really? Wow. And yeah, because it was about Sports Night being canceled. So he turned Sports Night, the ABC show being canceled, into a storyline on Sports Night, the ABC show. But anyway... Um, the last line of the show, which then proceeded to get canceled, was, it's a good show, Dana. Anybody who can't make money off sports night should get out of the money-making business. And that's how I feel about that. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, I, I want to believe that. It's just, I worry sometimes that we're in this area now where it's like people don't, somehow rich people don't care about making money. And I don't know how that go- or they care about other shit or they care about growing. It's like that profits are somehow like for for nerds and like subway franchisees. But whatever. I don't know how to solve that shit. I don't know how to solve any of it. But anyway, well, hope, hope, hopefully you find somewhere to write about our big orange wet guy. I promise you I'm looking. So thank you for that. But yeah, thank you guys. I will talk to you soon and see you out there. Are you doing a, a meetup this winter or somewhere? We yeah. are. This is a good chance to plug it. It is uh, December 14th, most likely. Oh, good. That'll be nice. So, yes, we'll, uh, we'll contact you. When we we'll get you the deets. Yeah. yeah, good stuff. All right. And thank if you, you want to read David on Deadspin, you can't anymore unless they just start republishing <laughs> his stuff, which they might. But you can follow him on Twitter at David underscore J underscore Rat. Always You're pleasure. allowed to read allowed to read the old stories if you want yeah, to. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. So they have terrible pop up ads for travelers insurance still? Yeah. If it if the site tells you that your flash is out of date and encourages you to download <laughs> something, don't do it. So here actually David, it's you'll appreciate you'll appreciate this before I let you go. I was recording with uh with Craig and Bradford on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before this all happened actually. And I have it on in the background and I, I go to Deadspin and I'm like, Oh, I want to read this article about Taco Fall. So I click on the article about Taco Fall uh, and like two separate autoplay videos with your voice come in at the same time and immediately crash my browser. That was the worst part is that beyond like, the fact is that, that David, like, what's going on? Oh, my cursor's not moving anymore. Yeah, it's the it was the worst feeling, man, because it was like in one sense, it's like obviously it's bad that when users can't use your website it's considered to be suboptimal. Pardon the, the jargon and all that. But you want the website to work so that people can look at it. But then the fact that it's me and my fucking awful voice and Talking face about popping about Ron Artest jerseys. Yes, isn't it? come on. <laughs> a brutal, a brutal own by any standards. And I've absorbed many of late, but ugh. Stop. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Welcome back. Now it's time for the third half of the show. Before we do the third half of the show, we do housekeeping. This is for all you kids out there, episode 191. For all you kids out there, is a Mets-adjacent Baseball Prospectus podcast. You can find us on the internet at BaseballProspectus.com. You can find the podcast on iTunes and various other assorted non-iOS apps. You also find us on Patreon, where you can support the show, get bonus content, join our Discord, uh, even appear on the podcast itself. For more information about that or to sign up, you can go to Patreon.com slash for all you kids out there. If you want an actual episode with actual, like, a half-hour of takes on Carlos Beltran <laughs> that don't involve remembering some guys and dancing around the Deadspin topic with David, that episode is on Patreon. We recorded it last night. There you go. If you just want to get in contact with the show generally, you can find us on Twitter at For All You Kids. Jared's on Twitter at J.A. Seidler. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. We have a Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash For All You Kids out there. Email the show at allyoukids at baseballperspectus.com. One Liam Murphy has emailed the show this week, Jarrett. Liam, go to sleep. Dear, he sent this in at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so. He hadn't slept. In oh, that's time. right, yeah. Liam, go to which sleep. Is, which is, in fact, mentioned in the email. Yeah. Dear yada yada, it is I, Liam Murphy, an important idiot from the void. I've returned due to an extreme amount of sleep deprivation, a large consumption of White Castle burgers, and the sadness of Deadspin. I've watched way too much Smallville, weirdly, and now I seem ready to discuss the Mets. The Mets situation can be uniquely summed up with the theme song of Smallville. Did you watch Smallville? It ran for 200 episodes in the WB, so I assume you did. I watched some of it. Right. I, was not I didn't watch any avid, of it. I was not like an avid Smallville person. Yeah, somebody save me. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, no, absolutely you gotta not. Do it. First of all, gotta, I never watched the show. Go ahead, Jarrett. It's, it's the Remy Zero. I, I can't say. Yeah, you at can, all. can you? Yeah. yeah, you can. Uh... I mean, who doesn't instantly melt the sweet stylings of Remy Zero, right? Mm. More to the point, in this offseason, there seems to be a unique apathy towards looking forward to the Mets next year. Yes, Jeffrey, there is no punctuation in this email. There's multiple periods. I'm like looking at the email right now. You shouldn't expect more from me. Again, another period. Is Carlos Beltran the Tom Welling to my Kristen Crook? Will he bring balance to the force? Or the literal Wilpon equivalents of Lionel and Lex Luthor have full reign over the shit show of a ball club? Fortunately, Allison Mack, not mentioned in the email, from a bad guy. I mean, that's the... We talked about this a little bit in the Patreon episode, but, like, who's calling the shots here? Like, the leaks that came out, again through uh, Andy Martino of MessBlog.com, suggested yeah. that they wanted like a collaborative situation, which means to me, and I think means in most other, again, analytically advanced front offices, self-stylized or otherwise, as more of sort of like a top-down role. Yeah. Where we're going to dictate 
playing time and development stuff, like who your players are, how they're used. You know, you keep the clubhouse going and talk to the media. Yeah. So I don't know. I. I mean, they got to get him a better group of players. Yeah. I mean, slightly. So I've seen a lot of talk like they don't have to do much because they won 86 games. I mean, that assumes like everybody performs exactly as well as they did last year and the pitcher health is the same and, you know, everything else. And there's still 15 games behind Atlanta coming into the season. Yeah. You know, other teams in that division could improve. God knows. So. Yeah. It is a constantly moving target. I suspect, as I'm sure Jarrett does as well, they're just going to run back a high-variance 85-win team. Uh, somebody reported today, and I don't remember who, uh, that, but it was one of the fine collection of beats. Mm-hmm. Might have been Tacoma. I don't remember. Like, J.D. Davis is their starting left fielder for 2020. Yeah, sure. sure. Like, that's, yeah. you know, he's just, they're not, you know, he's the guy. Like, really? Really? That's, you know, J.D. Davis hits 270 instead of 300, and with how bad his defense is, he's basically not playable. And, like, he might. Yeah. They should probably do some stuff beyond, what, signing Cole Hamels and trading Tom Smith for Jackie Bradley Jr.? Yeah. I mean, look, we joke about Wade LeBlanc because we love Wade LeBlanc. I'd be fine if they signed Wade LeBlanc. They should not sign Wade LeBlanc to be their fifth starter. They should sign Wade LeBlanc for the Jason Vargas role that Jason Vargas should have had. Right. And they need... Like, like, three of those dudes. Right, they're going to, like... And they think it's Walter Lockett and Drew Gagneau and Chris Mazza. And and instead of getting... They'll sign an actual guy for them. Like, a good outfielder and bumping Brandon Nimmo to a corner and, like, J.D. Davis into a four-corners backup role, which is probably what he's best suited for anyway. Sorry, J.D. Davis fans. Um, instead, they're going to say we have to replace Juan Lagaris and get a glove-first center fielder <laughs> that plays 60% of the time. Yeah. I mean, at least it's a long side platoon in that case. Right. This is an this expensive is, long side platoon. You get like ten million in arb. Finding already, players for roles. They're of, already up. They're already year over year up on payroll just on arb awards. In all likelihood. Depending on how you account for payroll. Well, yes, they're gonna say, Jared. They're gonna say they are. Yes, they are. So Liam, we have no good answers for you, basically. Uh, moving over to the Facebook group, George wants to know, question for the pod, how will they screw this up? <sighs> Hashtag blame Beltron. Hmm. Well, not uh, finding another above average major league outfielder and playing J.D. Davis every day and left might be one of the ways. Yeah. Um... I mean, they won't really fix the bullpen. Right. And no matter what, you know, Diaz and Familia are going to be in super high leverage roles because they've got too much invested. We said this at the time that they signed Familia. No matter how bad he is, he's on this team. 
he's in a high leverage role for at least the first half of 2020, and he's probably on this team until at least spring training in 2021 because they don't understand sunk costs. The best you can hope for is his shoulder starts barking again, really. Because at least then he will be unavailable for them to use in the eighth inning. He could get it, you know, off season of rest, he could get it back together to sure. the point where he's like an adequate seventh inning guy again. Yep. That's not sure. impossible, but they need, and they, they're not developing these guys. They and are not. They're not able to get them, which leads to stuff like trading that Canalina dude, who's apparently now a dude, mm. for Wilmer Font. And then DFAing Wilmer Font instead of, you know, digging up Nick Anderson or trading for Nick Anderson or trading, digging up anybody, you know. And hey, which isn't to say that you now the Rays spent an awful lot of capital trading for Ver- trading for you know Peter Fairbanks and Nick Anderson, who might not be like enough to weren't trading Jesus Sanchez and Nick Solak. Nick Solak. Yeah. yeah. But at least it's an idea. Sure. Instead of you've saying ad- you've identified players in other systems that can help your bullpen for. Right. Instead of saying we want a closer for the eighth inning and signing Jerry's Familia to $30 million over three years. Mm-hmm. You're not developing those guys. You're not really trading for them, although they've tried to trade for them and then develop them. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. So, uh, I don't. I don't know about their ability to identify the correct relievers, even if they find that as a problem and decide to fix it. I mean, they're gonna just sort of like look at the, you know, as free agent landscape or whatever and you know bring back brad brock at one year and four million and see which relief pitcher what other relief pitcher drops in like mid-january that will take a brad brock type deal maybe it's like pat neshek who spent most of last year injured darren o'day is around Steve Ciszek. I feel like they've been leaked to Steve Ciszek before. I'm sure they have. Colin McHugh, former Met. Coming off an arm issue. Will Harris. Will Harris feels very Mets. Yeah. But yeah, they'll like identify one other reliever to sign for like one in five million. Yeah. And it won't be like a high upside bounce back guy like Dylan Batances. It'll be... Possibly, literally, Steve Ciszek. So yeah, that's that's why I'll just screw it up. Watch the bullpen blow a bunch more games. The only correspondence we have. You haven't caught up on AEW yet. I have not. Uh, I do want to talk about the WWE Saudi Arabia fiasco for a minute. Can we though. actually talk about this? We're probably gonna be a little bit careful, but like seriously, what the fuck? Why is nobody reporting on this as a major story? Like, you know, find find somewhere to write, Bix. <laughs> yeah. So you know, like I. So for for those who don't know. 
Uh, WWE ran its semi-annual blood money show in Saudi Arabia on Thursday evening Saudi time, afternoon U.S. time. And for some reason, the flight of the majority of the WWE personnel were not allowed to leave. There was a delay. And essentially, other than Brock Lesnar, nobody that was on the Crown Jewel show got back for SmackDown. And a lot of W... Whatever happened wasn't good, right? We we kind of have figured that much out. And I suspect there's going to be a strong effort because if there's two places that would ever try and provide you dissemination about a business agreement that led to people being detained in a country, it would be World Wrestling Entertainment in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Like, if you could pick the business entity and the government, it would be those two. So, God knows if we're ever actually going to hear the real story, but that led to a... what for? I always saw clips of it, because I was out last night, but what was apparently a profoundly weird SmackDown show NXT where, invasion, which is how they yeah, kind of treated like, the WCW invasion, but right, the like WCW they, invasion like, was not run by Triple H. So right, they like panic booked an NXT invasion basically, and uh, Adam Cole pinned Daniel Bryan clean. I saw. Yeah, they put Tommaso Ciampa over the Miz. They put. Uh, Adam Cole over Daniel Bryan clean with the Panama Sunrise in the last shot. I feel like and, none of this will actually come to anything. But Well, the reason they're doing this is because NXT, they're treating NXT as a third brand for Survivor Series. Sure. Which I think might be leading to like either an Adam Cole fiend or Adam Cole Brock Lesnar title versus title, like champion versus champion match. Sure. Um, I... Could that's that's a choice. So they flipped the champions, but they right. did it in a slightly different way than we thought. Um, the Fiend did indeed basically squash Seth Rollins on the Saudi Blood Money show. Uh, but King did not beat Brock Lesnar. Uh, instead, Brock Lesnar has quit SmackDown and demanded to move to Raw for a match with Rey Mysterio who has been essentially treated like a job guy for the last six months. Yeah. But who attacked Brock with a steel chair after the who are Brock the, Kane yeah. match based on a storyline having to do with Brock beating up Dominic. Yeah. I don't know who the, yeah, whatever. As messy as AEW was on Wednesday, the storytelling is still slightly better than that. Yeah. Yeah. So... I, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, I, 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 I thought the best take on all of this was from good old Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer, uh, who isn't politically correct enough to realize how funny saying "live by the sword, die by the sword" is when talking about Saudi business dealings. Yeah, but I thought that was hilarious. I mean, listen, if you allow yourself, if you decide to run propaganda for the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and they screw you, like, how surprised could you actually be? You did that yourself. So, and it, would, would you like to briefly discuss AEW? 
Yeah, so I thought this was sort of the most disjointed of their shows so far. There were a lot of sort of, I won't call them squash matches, because they weren't squash matches in the traditional sense, but uh, enhancement matches, let's call them. Mm. Um, Kenny Omega got to work out his falling out with New Japan and Kota Ibushi via a long uh, Undertale video (laughs) as part of his entrance. Which is extremely Kenny Omega. Um, I thought he did a really good job building the Jericho Cody match. Um, the contract signing, they sort of played off a lot of the sort of the contract signing tropes. I thought Cody did a lot of like small things in his performance there that were really good. The way they framed it with him and Shivani in the in the limo coming to the uh, event off the plane is sort of like a very wcw trope i mean wwe has adopted it to a certain things too sort of like the remote stuff i thought the actual conversation felt like way more natural and not super scripted like it was almost like awkward like two people having a conversation in a way that sort of wwe never is able to do and that was sort of borne out in the moxley promo later which was also clearly not scripted uh building the omega match so i think they're doing a lot of the little things right this show to me just felt like they haven't it we're now five weeks in and they haven't quite figured out how to do a two-hour tv show yet like some of the timing on the commercial breaks when they go picture in picture when they don't go picture in picture they're kind of like missing i think production opportunities there to sort of get their stuff over and again you're kind of like building a tv show from scratch so um i hope they do work that out in the coming months but it grated on me more this week, like not having the picture in picture for the elite versus Sabian and hybrid two six man while they would keep it for like ends of matches and like promos. You actually can't hear like they had a uh, rock and roll express private party thing that was just picture in picture with no sound. Like they're just not timing out the TV production. Well, and it's starting to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, you know, the in-wing product wasn't quite as good, although it was fine. I wish they'd given more time to the tag titles main event. It did not feel like a big TV main event, although the match itself was fine. Um, I don't know why they didn't put it on the pay-per-view. They're, I don't think they're really going to build anything for SCU in the next week. It would feel weird not to have them defending those titles on the pay-per-view. Like, their first pay-per-view is like an official company, I guess. So... They're... they're- I believe they're doing a top contenders match on this week's television. I don't know who that's going to be. I would probably just run that match back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they went with like a flash pin, but I don't. If you're going to run it back, why don't you just run it at the pay-per-view? You could have run like a six-man or you could have done stuff. You could have spread it out a little more. So you're running the semis this week. You only ran one. uh, You were in one semifinal last week and one semifinal this week or whatever. Like, there's ways you could have stretched out the tournament a little more. Um, you know, it just was a little more disjointed than it's been in the past. Again, it was still actually very entertaining. Uh, two hours went by pretty quickly. Um, it just wasn't quite as sort of, like, crisp as it's been the last couple of weeks. And the interesting thing to me is the crowd was still super into everything. Like even the women's match, which was like 
one person I'm sure they'd never heard of because she was officially basically making her debut. Um, you know, and the other person only wrestled once for the company before in, in the tournament. And they like it took a little bit of time, but they got into the match. Like they, everybody that's going to this wants to like them and are willing to give them a long leash. And I think for the most part, they they've rewarded that. And I think that sort of bodes well going forward. Um, it's becoming kind of clear that Cody might be the biggest star in this company. Yeah, um... he's being presented. He's not. I mean, I, I won't say he's being presented that way. Um, I think it's just he, the focus is on him and Jericho right now, and Jericho is a known quantity. We've also we've discussed this before that since he left WWE, he's made a conscious effort to present himself that way. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it feels like you would think the Moxley Omega match would be hotter, and I think it'll still yeah. get there. I think yeah. this week helps a little bit, although Omega is still kind of like I'm not entirely sure what they're doing with him. And, like, the other thing is, he's not a, actually, he's not a good English promo, is the thing. He is not. Like, he can't, he's getting over on residual stardom stuff. And his matches are still excellent. He has great physical charisma in the ring. His stuff all works. But I don't think he can really, he's not, like, the funny thing is, the best promo he cut in all of this was when Moxley had to drop out because of the staff infection. Right. And it was but, very much a heel promo. Yeah, I don't know if they want him going that overtly heel on the television. Right. So they, yeah, I mean, Omega's... He comes across a little geeky sometimes. Sure. When he, Again, you know, literally his... full Undertale entrance video. Right. Um, and, like, look, that might just appeal to people younger than us strangely enough to say that but it might but we also are like literally the yeah. target audience i mean we're this. yes we're the dudes playing like the throwback yeah. rbg rpg style games as well so yes yes so, so i don't, I don't know. know like i still think like the thing is like i think the match is going to deliver i have no doubt about that i'm sure it will. it's going to be a super hot crowd in baltimore yeah they're uh um, I think Dave said they were about a thousand or a little bit over a thousand tickets short of a sellout, which I'm assuming they'll, you they'll know, get there, yeah. walk up. They'll get there. Try to. I gave it one last shot to talk you into going. Last I can't week. go, man. It's a bad weekend. Oh, drop the dogs off somewhere. Yeah. Anyway, um, I would have to readjust my travel plans anyway. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm you know I'm looking forward to it. Uh, should be only good. four uh, matches announced right now. I think. I think that's right. I mean, I assume they'll get a couple more. I mean, they don't really need. Yeah, Moxie Omega, Jericho, Cody, Young Bucks against Santana Ortiz and Paige Pack, Pack, Pack. Keep saying Pack, 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 Pack. I'm trying to think what else they can actually... I don't think they want Hager pack, wrestling pack, yet, and they probably shouldn't. Pack Porcello. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to figure out what else they can get. Like, there's not any other obvious, like, stuff they're building to, is the thing. 
I'm this? sure there's I'm sure there'll be like a Darby Allen match. Yeah. I could see like I'm sure there's gonna be something with Janelle and you know. they're probably Riho will have a defense of something. Yeah, they've been building up uh various people for that. You'd run Janella or uh Janella against Darby. Yeah, they haven't uh done the singles. I'm interested really? to see how they do on sort of the next touring cycle coming off the first pay-per-view. Because yeah. they're kind of leaving traditional Northeast and Mid-Atlantic markets. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, they were... They did run Charleston, West Virginia this past week, and it did okay, but not great. I, had the crowd, I mean, it looked pretty full. I know it's not a big building. Right. Again, this thing is not, you know, if they're pulling in seven fifty a week, yeah, and they're selling a reasonable amount of tickets, this is like extremely successful, right? Oh yeah, TNT TNT is super happy right now, <laughs> right? This is not, you know, designed to be a super expensive venture. Right. Uh, so I mean, so I coming off the pay-per-view. Going anywhere, but the question ends up being, what is it two years from now? Right. So I don't know. Can you have to pay for you the running Indiana, Chicago, and Champaign, which I think will be fine. Right. You know, Garland... well, Chicago's Chicago's not selling well at all because that's the same week WWE is in town for Survivor Series. Yeah. So that might be a tough one. And they do Texas and Jacksonville. Yeah. Guess in Jacksonville will do okay. Yeah. We'll see. I'm curious, like, so obviously Christmas is a Wednesday, so they're, they're off for that. I'm curious if they'll... They're, they're off Wednesday, and then Jacksonville's a New Year's Day, so... Yeah. So, yeah. Guessing, I mean, I'm guessing we will... Are, are we going to record after Full Gear next week, probably? Probably. We'll probably record on Sunday, right? So we'll yeah. talk about Full Gear next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess like Rule 5 ads. Yeah, and nice. I'm sure there will be Beltron press news and we'll yeah. probably start hearing about coaches and stuff like that. All so. the exciting stuff you've come to expect on another edition. But for all you kids out there, Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.